With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we haven't had a whole lot of news happen since the last time that we came to you guys had Brandon Drzinski from 580 on, um, but there still has been a little bit, a little bit I want to talk about, and obviously the, the NBA playoffs have gotten started with quite a few Jayhawks in action in some fashion. So to help me talk about all of that and what we can look forward to for the rest of the summer, I have joining me again, uh, as he does quite often, it seems like, uh, Scott Scott Chason of Fog.net. Uh, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm good. I, I like being a quite often guest. I think that makes me a friend of the show. Yes, exactly. You you are one of the few friends of the show that come on quite regularly. Um, you know, just makes a lot of sense with with what you cover. And of course, I'm always reading your stuff over on Fog.net as well. So, um, yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal to have you back on. Uh, so, big question, I guess, really is you know, with with not much actually happening in this last week or so. The really only story in terms of roster-wise or really kind of other events happening would be Sidney Curry, um, who is leaving the Kansas Jayhawks recruiting class for the basketball team. Um, you know, he is a junior college transfer, so I'm sure he'll have a decent number of options of where to go. It, it seems a little weird to me in terms of timing, but I, I guess it's not completely late in, you know, the the, the transfer window. So he'll, he'll probably have an opportunity to jump on somewhere. But do you think this really changes much for this Kansas program or was it really kind of a case where he literally wasn't going to really get any minutes? Well, I think of it in terms of maybe a corresponding move, you know, one thing happening and then that affecting something else. And and to me, uh, when Kansas added Jalen Coleman lands from Iowa state, the wing transfer for people don't know, he's a, a good three point shooter. He'll be in his seventh year of college. He's redshirted twice. Uh, that put Kansas one over on roster spots. And I think a lot of people and myself included um, their minds went to, well, who wouldn't be coming back? And most logically you think about the player, Jalen Coleman lands is he's a, a six, four, six, five wing who shoots the three at a good rate, 
that would, you know, Ochai Abaji, it's not hard to, to get that comparison. Now, they're different players. Ochai is a much better defender. He's a much better athlete. He's a better player. But it, it's kind of like the watered-down version of that and certainly a lot closer offensively. So I think that's kind of where my mind went originally. But, um, you know, with this departure, what this tells me is Kansas is pretty much now set regardless of what happens this offseason, you know. If Ochai Abaji stays in the draft, okay, Kansas has a bunch of wings, a bunch of good guys that can play, still some depth in the front court, still plenty of guard talent. You go into next year. If he comes back, great. You've got space for him. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about booting someone off. You've kind of taken care of that. And so, you know, I, th- I think Sidney Curry would have competed for backup five-man minutes. Certainly in year two, he could have played a much, much bigger role that now turns to the recruiting class for the future. Um, for Kansas to do some work in 2022 to bring in a new big man. But, you know, at the same time, I, I don't think it's a huge difference in terms of team talent. I think it's a difference in terms of Bill Self coming up with a plan uh, in case Ochai Abaji does end up staying in the draft. I think Kansas is now covered in either direction. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely seems to me that Curry was potentially going to be on the outs in terms of getting consistent playing time. It would have been nice to have a guy like Curry available you know, for, uh, I mean, for, for kind of spot duty as needed, but, you know, looking at the roster, I didn't necessarily think that he was going to be getting large portions of minutes in any particular game. And so it makes sense for him to be the guy that, to, to be the guy that moves on. Um, if someone does being a junior college, you know, transfer, he probably has a little bit more, um, well, I mean, he, he's definitely much more focused on trying to find somewhere where he's going to get more playing time immediately. And, and, you know, granted, there are some players that would be perfectly fine coming and sitting on the bench for Kansas and, you know, being a role player, being a guy, and then hoping that next year you can really ball out and, you know, really kind of show what you can do there. But um, it, it also makes perfect sense for a guy like Curry to, to want to go somewhere where he's actually going to have a consistent role. I mean, when he committed, Kansas was wondering where they were going to get production from next year because there was a there was a decent chance that McCormick was going to, you know, play well enough that he could have gone gone and stayed in the draft. There's a lot of opportunities I think for for Curry to find somewhere mm-hmm. on this roster and on this lineup to actually contribute. And then when they added everybody that they added, you know, and the possibility that that Abaji and Wilson are still going to come back, like that really I think shut down his opportunity to be a consistent player on this team. And so it makes perfect sense for me for him to go and find somewhere else to go. Again, I also kind of like you, I don't think this really changes what Kansas was going to do except for that, you know, break glass in case of emergency type of situation. You know, he's, he's probably the perfect guy you want in that case where someone picks up a whole bunch of fouls and you need a guy off the bench who has some sort of experience. But other than that, I don't think it really changes much of what Kansas was going to do. Yeah. I mean, think about it like this big body, you know, what is he like six nine two sixty something like that. Good athlete. You know, you'd like to have that certainly, but think about the Kansas front court now. I mean, David McCormick's going to play a ton of minutes. And if he comes back, Jalen Wilson is going to play most of the minutes at the four spot. Okay. Behind David, you have two super seniors, you know, guys who use that extra COVID year to return in Mitch Lightfoot and Cam Martin. And, you know, excluding both of them, you have Zach Clements, who is, you know, Kansas's top rated recruit. He's a floor spacing big man. He shoots the three really well. He's got great form. You also have KJ Adams, who is kind of, you know, he's more of a forward. He's more Jalen Wilson size than, than a true big man, but he's just this bowling ball who plays the small ball four spot, maybe in some situational lineups, he'd grow into a small ball five. You know, the player he's been compared to a lot is like a Mark Vital. Um, again, you have so much depth and, and talent and quality, 
I, I think in that front court where, you know, if you want to play one big man, you can, if you want to give it a try with two, you know, I, I don't know how much Kansas will do that. You know, you will. I, I think the thing with Sidney Curry is Sidney Curry was going to have to be a five man. And, you know, you already know David McCormick is going to take a ton of those minutes anyway. And so, yeah, I mean, he was competing for scraps after that, ultimately not what he wants to do, but yeah, it, it doesn't affect the ceiling of this Kansas team. Kansas is still, you know, absolutely loaded. I think at a number of different positions. And quite frankly, I think Kansas is still a preseason top five team, even if Ochai Abaji stays in the draft. Yeah, that, that that's actually where I was going to go next because obviously there's still a good opportunity for Abaji to stay in the draft. The, the last report to come out was that he was seriously on the fence, really was undecided about what he was going to do. And so we'll, we'll get some more clarity here in the next few weeks. But, you know, it's going to be middle of June before we even know if it's likely for him to come back at this point. I mean, how much does that change the ceiling of this team going into next year if Abaji doesn't come back? Does Self really need to be looking out for how to fill that hole at the last minute if, you know, if Abaji doesn't come back? Or do you think it's something where they have guys that are already on the roster that can step up and fill that hole to keep Kansas as like a top five, maybe top 10 team coming into the year? Yeah, I think that's why you go get Jalen Coleman Lance because, you know, again, he's not as good as Ochai Abaji, especially defensively. There will be a drop off there. But if you you start to build out a KU rotation and put pieces together and say, okay, you don't have Ochai Abaji. Well, now who are you starting? Well, you probably feel pretty good about Remy Martin. You probably feel pretty good about Joe Yesifu. Uh, you probably going to keep, you know, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, David McCormick. And then, you know, off the bench, you've got a shooter in Coleman Lands. You've got a couple guards you probably really like in Pettiford and Harris. One of them's going to play, one of them won't. And then you've got all the big men I've mentioned. So I, I still see a complete team, a team with shooting, a team with defensive potential through its depth. You know, a lot of KU's thinner teams, uh, they've had to maybe be more assignment sound defensively um, because there weren't guys behind them who could defend and, and, you know, there wasn't this quality depth, but this team should have the depth where you just tell guys, Hey, go play hard, you know, gamble. If you fail, it's okay. There are two guys behind you. I mean, think about the point guard position. Let's say Remy Martin has three fouls in the first half of the game. Okay. You've got Bobby Pettiford. You've got Dewan Harris. You've got Joe Yesifu. I mean, those are three guys who can step in and play point. Same thing with David McCormick. Let's say David McCormick gets three fouls and Mitch gets three fouls. Okay. You've got Cam Martin, you've got Zach Clements, you've got Jalen Wilson, you've got KJ Adams. Who do you want to put there? And, and so, you know, you look at this KU team right now, it it has 14 scholarships filled. They get the bonus one because Mitch Lightfoot is a returning super senior, as I mentioned. So, I mean, again, it's just, it, it's too much depth. They'll probably redshirt at least one, maybe two. And some of these guys won't play that much. And it'll be a case where you just kind of have to stay ready for, you know, for when that time comes. But yeah, Ochai Abaji is a great player. He might even be the team's best player if he comes back for an extra year. But, you know, in, in some way, I, I don't necessarily think he changes a ton just because you're still going to have so many players at each position that guys are still not going to be getting enough minutes um, at times it'll feel like. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's a very good player. He makes Kansas better undoubtedly, but I'm not sure it's a huge difference. I, I think Kansas is an elite team, an elite roster pretty much either way. Yeah. The other thing too, to think about is, you know, the, the Kansas teams that were the best teams typically had maybe one or two, like go-to guys, you know, like star players that you really would think of as star players and a whole bunch of other guys that were really good and really solid depth. I mean, you think about the title team, you know, they had Brandon rush and um, I mean, basically Brandon Rush was like the, the main star. And then you had a bunch of guys that were, that could get up there on any particular night and Sean Collins and Mario Chalmers, you know, and you've got, 
I mean, just everybody that was there, they had a lot of players who filled a lot of good roles that could do a lot of different things in, in like kind of contained into what they actually needed. And that's what I see with this team. You know, I see Remy Martin as that guy who kind of can come up and be the leader of this team. If Ochai Abaji doesn't come back, if, if Abaji comes back, then you have Remy Martin and Abaji that are kind of sharing that spotlight. But then you have a whole bunch of other guys that complement what they do. And you have McCormick down low who can, who can really ball out, can really kind of dominate down low when he's focused. And so, like, they have all the pieces that they need, and they have a whole bunch of guys that can do a whole bunch of different things. If you don't have Abaji, you still have a whole bunch of guys that can fill the role that Abaji did, just not all at the same time in the same person. And so, Kansas has all the pieces that they need. It's just a matter of, you know, how much leeway do you have in, in terms of having it into one individual player. The one thing I will also say is that, you know, the best Kansas teams didn't necessarily have their best players playing at their best at the beginning of the year. Having that development, having that opportunity for those other guys to develop, whether it's in practice playing against the best lineup that they possibly can mm-hmm. with a Baji back or getting that game, you know, experience, um, you know, that that has been one thing that has potentially hampered the Jayhawks in, in many years, you know, I think the biggest example of it not actually being a problem would be in that, you know, 2018 where you had guys coming off the bench and having huge performances in the tournament. Um, but for the most part, Kansas teams that are the best are the ones that can get a lot of bit, a lot of different guys that opportunity to play early in the year to really get that experience and then develop throughout the year. And, and I think. You know, either you have a Baji that can really kind of help the top end of the team throughout the entire year, or you have a whole bunch of guys that are now going to get more time to develop that by the end of the year, they're going to be playing the best ball that they possibly can. Yeah. And think about a team like the 2018 uh, Devontae Graham, Malik Newman team. Obviously, Devontae Graham, the star of that team, and Doak was very good that year, though not great. Uh, but, you know, Malik Newman emerged at the end of the year. LeGerald Vicks, V. Mikhail Luke, those guys had their times. I'm sure Bill Self would mention Marcus Garrett's impact off the bench is changing games. You know, they just had so many guys. And and look, I, I think the the decision is really interesting for Ochai Abaji because he kind of said in an interview with The Athletic that what he wants is sort of a guarantee. And it even sounded like he'd be interested in a two-way deal or a second-round pick, but he, he just wants that kind of standing guaranteed. So if you're Kansas and Bill Self, you understand why, again, he had to plan for that and, and build the roster the way he did. But, I mean, look at it. And, you know, let's go down the route of like a worst-case scenario for a second. Let's say, you know, Jalen Coleman lands, can't play defense, you know, can't stay on the court in the Big 12. Let's say Joe Yesifu, just quite frankly, isn't isn't good enough, is, you know, more like he started the last year than he ended the last year. There's there's still so many pieces. The the guys you talked about who would get chances to play early. Remy Martin is a level of scorer that Kansas probably hasn't had in terms of shooting off the bounce, creating his own shot, all of that. You know, going back since Devontae Graham, which I know it's not that long ago, but it is at least, you know, a couple guys at that point guard spot. Um, you, you think about again Christian Brown, and he's gonna take a step forward. I mean, Christian Brown was a guy who scored what 30 points in a game like early in the year last year. I know he didn't have yeah. a great season. He did. He didn't end the year wonderfully, but he showed flashes at times. That he could do that. You have David McCormick, the guy who was the most improved player in the big 12 second team, all big 12. And those are just kind of your, you know, like building block pieces, Jalen Wilson. If he comes back, Jalen Wilson, how many, you know, he had some double doubles. He had some 20 point games. He had some, you know, what, like 23, 10 points, 10 rebounds or something like that against Kentucky in an early season win. And he did that a few more times. I mean, you have so many guys who are capable, just like you were talking about of with that early experience building and turning it into something. Um, I struggle to think of a KU roster probably dating back to maybe senior year, Frank Mason, when you had Josh Jackson coming in, you had all those pieces. 
uh, where you'd really think, you know, I don't know what the weakness of this roster is going to be. Like maybe rim protection, maybe that ends up being the weakness. I could see the argument for defensively, maybe. But again, with depth, you're going to tell guys, play hard, don't be afraid to foul, all that stuff. Um, I I don't know that there's a flaw in this KU roster. I think it'll just be a matter of, can you get all the pieces to gel and fit? Can you identify the guys who need to be the team leaders? And can you give them the keys to run the team in the way that they need to? Yeah, I mean, and, and and honestly, the last few years, those have been the teams that, you know, Kansas has struggled the most with. Bill Self, if he's just not able to get them to gel, like that's usually when Kansas has problems is just that the pieces just don't come together. And there's not much that you can do to plan for that other than just have as many pieces as possible so you have as many options to try as possible. And Kansas has tons of options now, so it's really just a matter of finding what works, finding the group of people that can actually play well together and are going to complement each other in the way that they need to be competitive in the Big 12 this year. So Yeah, and, and let me jump in and add one more thing real quick. Yeah. Think about the 2019-20 team. That team was so flawed offensively and shooting the ball. And even then, like Bill Self finds a way to make certain things work and get more out of them than he probably should. I just look at a team like this one, almost similar to like, I think it was 2010, 2011, um, when they played like 10 guys or something like that. Like it's so many options. And for a guy like Bill Self, I mean, what, what do you think he's doing this summer? He's sitting around thinking, you know, of 20 different ways to use each individual guy. Right. You also know the guys he prioritized in the transfer portal, you know, that wasn't by accident. KU didn't go after every kid. They went after ones that fit a model and a way that Bill Self is trying to play. And so I think if you see Kansas have success with the transfer portal and this waiver for immediate eligibility continues on, I wouldn't be surprised to see a shift, at least in the short term, of Bill Self's recruiting strategy to maybe incorporate more of those transfer guys and, and figure out ways to, to put them together just because, I mean, Diedrich Lawson fits so well. Malik Newman ended up working out really well. Isaiah Moss, that was a seamless fit. You know, he had an injury early in the season and then caught on. Bill Self can, has shown the ability to work guys in. And, and if this goes well, it would not shock me if Kansas's approach shifts this way a little bit. Similarly, though, to to like how, you know, Kansas didn't jump on the, you know, five star like one and done guys as as much as teams like Duke or Kentucky. I, I almost wonder if how much of that and him hitting on a lot of his transfers really well has to do with them, you know, having to take that year to acclimate to the system and do like I, I'm not saying that it's going to go all downhill by that, but maybe we're, I'm not sure how much of that is the guys having a complete year in the system, really embracing what bill self does and then being ready to, to, you know, hit the ground running the next year. Or if it's a case of these guys were just that great and they were that good at, at identifying talent. I'm wondering how much, you know, we're going to see transfers that don't necessarily pan out, whether it's at Kansas or any of the other top schools, just because they didn't have that full year where they had to sit out and learn the system and really acclimate to where they were going. I'm not saying that we should go back to a system, you know, where they have to sit out for a year, because I don't know that that actually makes sense one way or another. But I also wonder if the early like narrative coming out of this is that, man, these transfers aren't really being as effective as we thought they were going to be, you know, because even though you can really kind of tailor to what you need for that particular roster, they, they don't have as much time in your system. And so there is always the possibility that they're not going to, you know, they're not going to mesh nearly as well, not having spent that entire year on campus. I don't know what the right answer is for that. I'm really kind of interested to see how that plays out and what we're going to be talking about, you know, two or three years from now after we've seen a few classes of transfers come in and see how effective they can actually be. Uh, You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot that are really successful. There's probably going to be some that aren't nearly as successful. I'm just wondering if there's going to be a clear trend of it getting better or getting worse because you can either tailor a lot better to the guys that you need for a particular roster because you're getting them, you know, in the off season before that, that actual season where you use them or if it's going to be more of a, 
you know, kind of what I was talking about where, you know, you're bringing them in and maybe necessarily you could neither evaluate them the way you needed to or, you know, they, they just don't have an opportunity to really embrace what you're doing nearly as much as they were before. So yeah. I'll be super interested. I still think, obviously, that it's a it's a good thing what they're doing with the with the one time transfer rule, because, you know, as much as we've talked about coaches being able to move around all the time, the players should be able to as well. And all the issues around amateurism and everything like that. I definitely think this is a, a good step in the right direction. I just wonder if we're going to have that counter narrative kind of going back. It's like, oh, man, you know, transfers aren't the golden ticket that, that everybody thought they were mm-hmm. going to be to really fix your rosters. And we'll see yeah. people start to shift back towards high school players a lot more. Yeah. Well, and, and just to add on to that, even, you know, even the guys that did sit out a full year, specifically Malik and Diedrich come to mind. Neither one of those guys necessarily were absolutely dynamite to start the year. Diedrich Lawson had a better start to his season than Malik did to his. But even then, there were, you know, there were a lot of kinks to work out between he and Yoka Azubuki, and they really struggled playing for a little bit. Now, obviously, both of those guys caught on, but I think you make a good point. And I think a lot of coaches are going to learn that it's uh, a lot harder to do what John Calipari does with one and dones and what Bill Self has done, uh, replacing every, you know, all five starters three different times during the streak and, you know, just seamlessly build a team the next year. I think Bill Self is one of the unique ones who is capable of doing that. But I do think for a lot of guys, I mean, this summer is going to be gigantic. It's going to, to, you know, basically make or break a lot of teams in terms of can you get them to gel and can you get guys on the same page? Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. All right, I do want to transfer over to a little bit of uh, football stuff. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Forget the SEC, forget the Big 10, and forget national podcasts that only talk about Oklahoma and Texas. We talk about the Sooners and the Longhorns. We also talk about the Cyclones, the Cowboys, the Wildcats, the Mountaineers, the Jayhawks, the Red Raiders, the Horn Frogs, and the Bears. We love the whole Big 12, and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found. So go and find the 1012 Podcast and subscribe today. And we're back. All right. So, you know, obviously there's, there hasn't been a whole lot of news in terms of what's actually happened in, in the football program, um, other than obviously, you know, people getting kind of settled in um, and really getting going with the recruiting and things like that. Um, the little bit of news that we did get, uh, Jalen Peoples, now that uh, official visits are actually able to happen, you know, he has gone ahead and scheduled his official visit for this first weekend in June. Um, you know, uh, how much do you think it's going to make a difference for the, for recruits able to come in and actually come on official visits to all the different schools that they actually have on their list? Well, I think it'll make a huge difference for a, a school like Kansas in terms of just building relationships. And, you know, not only I, I talked to Jalen, you know, just in, in terms of after his convert, his first time talking to Lance Leipold, he was really, really excited to get to meet with him. Um, I, I guess, depending on when you post this podcast, we'll have a, a story up on the site of fog.net, our KU campus underground. It comes out every week. And I think I mentioned five or six guys in there that have scheduled visits. Avery Johnson, a quarterback in Kansas class of 2023. I talked to him uh, on Thursday. And he mentioned to me that he's coming up for an unofficial on the 20th. And, you know, he hadn't even been in contact with Leipold until this last week. Um, not because the KU staff is doing anything wrong, but just because there's been so much to get done. So I think June is going to be insane. I think it is going to be crazy for recruiting as things open up both basketball and football. Uh, there are going to be a lot of visitors. There are going to be a lot of guys going to camps and, uh, KU will even have a few camps. They've got a 
few football camps scheduled both, I believe, June and July, and then the some Bill Self stuff going on too in, in the month of July as well, although not necessarily with recruiting his more team camps where you actually get to see KU basketball players scrimmage. But yeah, this summer should be crazy, um, especially for football. I'm not going to say this summer will make or break Lance Leipold's first recruiting class, but for a lot of schools, you know, they, they'll want to land a lot of these kids during this period. And, you know, I, I have spoken to guys who want to make their decisions, you know, on visits and want to be committed and want to be done by the end of their, you know, the summer before their senior year. So it's not much time, not much lead time. It's why it's hard to hire a coach kind of in this time period for a number of reasons. You know, the coach doesn't get to work with the players in the spring. Uh, you've got to put a recruiting board together and all these things very quickly, but um, if it goes well, it could be huge for Kansas. Yeah, to that end, or, you know, the whole recruiting angle, though, I, I do think it's actually easier to come on in this time frame than it would be right at the end of the season when you have basically two or three weeks to put an entire recruiting yeah. class together, especially if you find yourself in the situation that Les Miles did, where your predecessor had, you know, one recruit <laughs> that was Who committed did, yeah. and then decommitted immediately right after. <laughs> so, like, I, I definitely think if you were going to hire someone this year and you knew that you weren't going to, you know, have a, a you know stick with Emmett Jones you know as like an interim year and then have an opportunity mm-hmm. to keep him like I, I think it definitely made sense if you're going to make a change you want to do it as early as possible because it gives them an opportunity to use this summer evaluation period to really bring guys in start building relationships to have an opportunity to have a good class coming into this season um, yeah so, I, I agree with you I, let me just say that the one difference this year though is COVID-19 and the right. fact that no one's been able to visit anywhere for over a year so that's why in particular like there's one kid what he's visiting Kansas on one day, Kansas state the next day, he goes to Boston college the next weekend. It's, it's a lot of stuff like yeah. that where it's like, you've got to organize for 50 kids, a hundred kids, basically in a matter of, you know, for Lance Leipold, I guess he got a month. His, his first kind of real day on the job was after the spring game. So like May 2nd, if you want to call it that, um, you know, you get a month to plan it. And so it's, it's different. I agree. It, it is very hard, especially the timing less miles was brought in right at the end of the season, I think with a couple of games left um, and, and still put together a good recruiting class and needed to use the late period. But I think the unique challenge brought on by COVID is that every single program across the country right now is telling kids, you need to visit us, you know, take this official visit, right. come to this camp, whatever. And so when you look at the month of June, I think it's going to be crazy. I think Kansas is, uh, I think Lance Leipold has felt really fortunate to be able to bring a lot of his support staff from Buffalo. Yeah. Um, a guy, Kansas fans are familiar with Rob Ionello being the GM. I think that helps the time management and the planning aspect of the job. But I, I do think it's a real challenge taking over just a month before this kind of COVID break is lifted uh, because, you know, they've had to get that recruiting board figured out in a hurry. Granted though, I, I do think, that was probably about as as perfect timing as you could get in this sort of situation because what you don't want to happen is, you know, the COVID ban uh, in terms of recruiting visits gets lifted a week before and then you have barely yeah. any time at all or after because then you're way behind the eight ball and everybody that you're trying yeah. to. I mean, Kansas is, has done a really good job of keeping the key recruiters from the prior staff to keep most of the recruiting class together and most mm-hmm. of the guys that they've already been working with. You know, so it's really just a matter of, you know, plug and play in a new head guy, which obviously has some implications, can change some people's minds. But, you know, since most of the actual interaction that they have with the recruiting staff is those bottom of the you know barrel recruiters the guys that are actually making the contacts that are actually building those relationships keeping guys like Emmett Jones you know and Chevis Jackson was huge for this program and huge for the for the staff here because those are the guys that were making most of the contacts with recruits and so if you know if if those guys are still on board 
they can reassure the recruits that, hey, look, you know, it's it's we, we still want you just as much. We're still going to be able to do all the great things that we talked about. We just, you know, are going to do it in maybe a little bit of a different way. And so, like, that's been absolutely huge for them to be able to keep most of this recruiting class together. There haven't been a lot of decommitments. There haven't been a lot of transfers. So this has been absolutely phenomenal. I think it's the best the best the best case scenario for what Leipold could have stepped into at this point. The question I think at this point, and kind of this leads into my next question is, you know, I know it hasn't been very long, but have you gotten any kind of early indications about how the holdovers from the previous staff and this new staff have been able to come together? Um, kind of what that relationship is like? Yeah, I actually have. That's a great question, by the way, because like so many people don't, you know, they just, Hey, keep this assistant, keep this assistant, but how are they going to actually work together? Um, I had the chance to watch a couple things Andy uh, Kotelnicki did before he took over the OC position. He's been with Lance Leipold the last eight years, I believe, at both Buffalo, Wisconsin, Whitewater for a couple of years. And his whole philosophy on coaching, and I knew this before, you know, I had the chance to meet him in person last week, I believe, um, was, hey, you know, I'm a coordinator. I want to coordinate. I want input from everyone. I'm going to have every assistant give me 10 to 15 plays that they would start the game with. And I'm going to have my quarterbacks do that. And then I'm going to look and I'm going to see, you know, what plays do we have in common? Well, I should probably call those. What plays are unique? Well, if I don't know why he picked that play, I'm going to go ask him about it. It, it seems like he really takes in um, a lot of that feedback, a lot of that, you know, he, he wants conversations. He wants the staff to watch film together if they don't, you know, they, they haven't been around each other a ton. So I, I think Kansas brought in kind of a perfect offensive coordinator in terms of meshing with the staffs. And, you know, I also had the chance to speak to Emmett Jones just a, a little while back. And, and what he told me is he's offering input and suggestions and things when asked but he's not feeling a need to take things over and say, you know, no, this is how I did it. You're doing it wrong. He, you know, he's listening. He's, he's sitting back. He's saying, I'm the wide receivers coach. I'm going to do my job, you know, to the best of my ability. And then if they need help, I'm going to offer it up. And so um, I, I think knowing the personalities of the staff members that they kept, I think a lot of the right guys stuck around like Jake Schoonover is a coach. Not a lot of people will know, um, he does special teams. He's very, very well connected in the Kansas city area. He's probably going to pay big dividends. He's a newer guy on staff. Um, just in terms of local recruiting, same thing. That's a guy who wants to give input, take feedback, you know, and, and learn and listen. And Quan Drake on the defensive line, he's been huge. I've spoken to, to multiple signees in Kansas's class who, you know, maybe they would have been considering other places, but Quan Drake stayed on staff. So they were comfortable, you know, kind of sticking around. So I, I think it's a good blend in terms of guys with the, the right personalities uh, to make it work and come together and listen. And that's not to say the departing guys, you know, didn't have good personalities, you know, Joshua Urkel. Um, I, I've never met a more upbeat human being than Joshua right. Urkel in my life. He's, you know, I, I think it's genuinely uh, uplifting to talk to him most of the time. But um, I, I think the guys they did keep, I think it, it will mesh together well. And I get the sense that Lance Leipold's really excited about that because, you know, he'll demand a lot from people. He will occasionally, you know, look at some things in the offense. He's an offensive guy, but he wants his coaches to do their jobs. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you empower people like that, it makes it a lot easier for them to work together. So I think, I think it's a good staff from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, Ergo was probably the one name where I was, I wasn't like disappointed because I, I thought they should have kept him and who they brought in in his place. You know, well, it wasn't as good. It was more of a, he 
you know, I got the kind of the same impression from where, from, from my vantage point, it's like, he's a guy you want to root for. He's a guy that you'd like to have on your staff. Um, you know, if, if there's a place for him. And so I, I definitely hope that he finds a really good spot to land and, and does well wherever he goes next, but kind of what you're talking about. And, and I actually said something along these lines last week. Um, you know, the, the one trait that seems to be common to most of the coaches here, um, on staff, including Leipold, is that they're humble. Not not humble as in like they don't you know think much of themselves or are deferring to other people, but they are. They don't need all the attention. They don't need all the glory for themselves. You know they they know what their role is. They know what they're good at. They're they're confident in what they're doing. But it's it's about the group. It's not about them individually. And and we've we've seen that with a lot of the prior coaches. You know. In, in in some cases it was warranted you know they had they had a pedigree where they've been able to do those sorts of things and kind of bringing you know that 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 swagger um you know could potentially be a good thing and help motivate but but what we didn't see in some cases was them recognizing that they don't have to do everything you know David Beatty comes to mind with you know at one point I think he was the special teams coordinator the offensive coordinator the quarterbacks coach mm-hmm. uh, the tight ends coach and I think the offensive line coach all at the same time um you know so like we we have have seen a lot of coaches who try to do too much or try to make it more about them than the entire collective. And this is like every single one of these coaches that I've, that I've had any kind of opportunity to hear from or to read about. It seems like they all share that one trait that they all know what their job is. They know that they're not bigger than any, you know, anyone else. They all have their roles and that they all need to work together to get this team as far as they possibly can, which is absolutely perfect for a staff. That's exactly what Kansas needs. They don't you know, they need they need a cohesive unit to come together to get the best that they can out of the players that are on the field. And for for the first time in a long time, I'm extremely confident they actually have that. Whether it's going to work out the way we want it to, obviously, is a big question because there's a lot more that goes into it than just having a good coaching staff. Um, but I, I think they're finally at the point now where the coaching staff isn't going to be what's holding them back. Yeah, I agree. And look, when I covered Lance Leipold's introductory press conference, how I how just me personally as a writer and journalist, I try to cover these things is I try to pick a moment that symbolizes who the coach, who the person is. And sometimes it's a really dumb little thing that no one would notice or even care about, or they'll think it's a stretch. But for Lance Lightpool, it was a pretty easy moment for me, which was uh, Benton Smith, the writes about football for the Lawrence Journal World. He's fantastic. Um, he asked Lance Lightpool about his sales pitch for getting the Kansas job. And when he said the word sales pitch, Lance Leipold like grimaced, like turned his head, raised his <laughs> eyebrows. Like, I, I don't like that word. I'm not selling anything. Like he, he like visibly was distressed at the word sales pitch. And I thought what a perfect encapsulation of this guy who is basically just saying, you know, Hey, I'm a football coach. I have football philosophies. I've coached some winning teams. We're going to get to work. We're going to do it. And, you know, I'm not trying to sell anything. You know, you won't see Lance Leipold out there with uh, Rick Ross or whatever. And and again, that's not a a knock or anything on Les Miles because obviously Les Miles has been super successful. But what you said about David Beatty is so spot on. You know, there are many different kinds of coaches, but I've always thought the coaches who are confident enough to trust their staff, first of all, to hire good staff members and then to trust them. Those are the ones that are going to have more success. Um, And, and, you know, Lance Leipold's been with his offensive coordinator, I mentioned, Andy Kotelnicki, for eight years. He's been with Brian Borland, his defensive coordinator, every single year that he's been a head coach. This is not a guy who's going to be firing assistants and, you know, a revolving door where players are learning new ways to do things. And, 
you know, I, I can't even think of how many different assistant coaches I've had the chance to cover. There have been players who have had five, six, seven different offensive coordinators. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot for the kids. So I think for, to have the chance at, at continuity and just that kind of consistent, sometimes understated message, I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you know, I mean, one of the, one of the leadership, uh, I guess, mantras that I really subscribe to, cause I've seen it work successfully as, you know, a good leader is someone who puts good people, you know, into roles underneath them and then lets them do their job. Like that's really what it's about is because as we found, you know, a head coach cannot do everything in a football program. They can't, they can't be the ones teaching, you know, individual drills or teaching different concepts to every single spot on the field. So you have to find people that you trust that can do that, can teach it the way that you want it done. You know, they can bring all of that together. Um, and you know, if, if you can't hire people like that and then let them go do their job, then you either didn't hire the right people or you aren't enough of a leader to empower the people underneath you to do what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, and so like, that's, that's the, the aura that I got from Leipold when I first heard what you did, when I talked with everybody, you know, I talked with, with Tim Rorden, uh, who, who covered him up in Buffalo. Like there's a lot of people that have said a lot of great things about Leipold and from every indication I've gotten, like, it, it seems like all of that is genuine. I'm really excited for what he's going to be able to bring and what we're going to see. Obviously there's a lot of other obstacles they have to come over to start seeing success on the field immediately. But like I said before, that like, I think that the coaching staff is now set to a point where that's not going to be what's hold, holding them back. If they're not going to be successful on the field, it's going to be because they have to get other things in line and it'll happen eventually. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take. For sure. All right. So I think that's about it for football at this point. So there's really just one topic left that I want to talk to you about, because obviously NBA playoffs are going on right now. There's a lot of former Jayhawks in the league. There's a lot of excitement. You know, I watched the, uh, the, the Suns Lakers series so far, there's been a lot of really, really good series as well as I've been flipping around a lot of them. But the first question I have for you, Scott, is why do you root against former Jayhawks, Marquise Morris and Ben, Ben McLemore? Ah, so why am I rooting against the Lakers? Yeah, exactly. I was curious about this question. Uh, No, funny enough, uh, when I was, it was before my college days, Ben McLemore was actually uh, probably the most fun Jayhawk to watch, I think, of any player. I mean, uh, Andrew Wiggins was more athletic than, is more athletic than he is, but McLemore liked using his athleticism, I think, more than Wiggins did. And so uh, it was really a joy to watch uh, Ben McLemore. But uh, so I'm a Suns fan. I grew up in, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma in a time before uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder were a thing and my early basketball days and this probably colors some of how I approach the sport uh, but was watching the the seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns and uh, <laughs> watching them and, and growing an appreciation for Steve Nash my parents took me to a game um, that was always the team I followed and even when the Thunder came over and it would have been very easy to be a bandwagon fan. They had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, amazing team uh, and team since. But um, no, I was always a Suns fan and stuck through it, stuck through some bad years to the Devin Booker years. And uh, now here we are. So that's why uh, that's a, a brief anthology of my Suns fandom. Yeah, I definitely understand sticking with, you know, the teams that you grew up with. I mean, I've been a Royals fan pretty much all my life since I moved here as a young kid. And a you know KU football fan, so like I, I completely understand that whole. It's really hard, and, you know. And Chiefs too, for the longest time, were really really bad as well. So I, I completely understand sticking with the team that you've grown up with. Um, I, I I am going to say I'm, I'm a little disappointed that you were ready with that answer like immediately. I was I was hoping to get you a little bit more uncomfortable, but 
Um, but no, I get asked it a surprising amount. It's fair. People just my friends will wonder. They'll be like, "Why do you like the Suns?" And it's like, blame Steve Nash. I wanted to be Steve Nash so badly, but I'm five foot six. No, so, it's, it's, uh, the NBA did not come calling. Yeah, it's it's just kind of funny too because you know you and then and then Joshua Briscoe are both Suns fans, and it's just it's weird yeah. having so many Kansas City area you know reporters and radio people like all of those those people that I actually listen to or read that are Suns fans for whatever reason. You know, me being yeah. someone who doesn't really follow an NBA team, I usually follow KU players in the league um, just because I haven't, you know, I didn't, I never really grew up with a team. I didn't really get into the NBA until I was probably um, like a junior in high school. And even then it was kind of more of a, oh, this is where all those KU players I've been watching are are going to. Um, And so like, you know, it's it's always kind of weird for me to to pick which team I actually want to root for in any particular year. I just haven't found one that I'm going to root for year after year after year, but I've been really enjoying watching the Suns. Um, I really just kind of wanted to see if I could make you uncomfortable about rooting against a bunch of KU players. But <laughs> it, it, it doesn't help, though, that McLemore and, and Morris haven't really played very much in the playoffs yet. So you're not really rooting against them. You're just rooting against their teammates, right? Yeah, something like that. You know, the Suns <laughs> had a bunch of Jayhawks, too, between what uh, they had the Morris twins. Uh, they obviously had Sheck Diallo. Well, had. They had a bunch more. Uh, they right. had Kelly Oubre, of course. Kelly Oubre was great for them uh, just a year ago and obviously traded him. So they've had... They've had a lot of they've had a lot of Jayhawks. They've also had a lot of Kentucky guys: Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, yeah, uh, Archie Goodwin, Tyler Eulis. They've had a lot of a lot of blue blood guys. So the other the other I think big story that's KU related coming out of the playoffs would be Joel Embiid. You know he mm-hmm. he was an MVP candidate for quite a while this year, um, played absolutely phenomenally, and has been coming up big in the first round of the playoffs for for the Seventy Sixers. Um, I guess really the only the only question I have left for you though is. Um, you know, who do you, who do you see making it to the NBA finals this year? Well, for starters on Embiid, uh, I could tell you something about Embiid through the eyes of Evan Manning, who I uh, interviewed in the halls of Allen Fieldhouse, right when his time at KU was ending. And he told me about Embiid. He would like watch a YouTube video and, and people have heard these stories, but he would like watch a YouTube video with Embiid and Embiid would say, no, I'm doing that in the next game. Yeah. And then he would just go out and do it. And he'd be like, how are you learning these moves just from like one YouTube video or something? But I, I mean, those stories are everywhere, but that that's who Joel Embiid is. I, I got to think the Brooklyn Nets, look, they don't play a ton of defense, but I've watched enough of them this year to know that if I picked against them and they won, I'd feel like an absolute idiot. Um, I have no idea in the West because, you know, I I thought the Suns actually had a good chance, a decent chance against the Lakers. They pretty much dominated the first game. Uh, But obviously, you know, Chris Paul gets injured. He's down to to one arm mostly. So, and, and, you know, we don't know how the games tonight are going to go. The Clippers seemed like a good pick. They're down. Oh, and two. I mean, I don't want to pick Dallas because I don't feel like Dallas is the the best team, but of the current series leaders, maybe Dallas, Brooklyn or something like that, which would be a really weird series. It Uh, would be personally, personally, I'm just hoping for Portland to advance to the next round because I will be in Portland in a couple of weeks and I'll go to some playoff games. So uh, that's, that would be my pick for the, whatever the quarter Western conference quarterfinals. You're, you're totally selfish pick, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Let's get Portland some wins. (laughs) I, I I could definitely get behind that. No, I, honestly, I I want to see Embiid in the finals against whoever wins this this uh, Phoenix Lakers series. So yeah, um, I think that would be a really interesting finals, no matter which one it is. Um, but obviously, that means that the Suns have to get past the Lakers for that to happen. Um, yeah. I, I'm really hoping just because you know as much as as much as my kids seem to like LeBron. Um, just because he's LeBron, I just I, I didn't grow up with the same fascination of with LeBron and all of them as a lot of other people did. I would obviously rec- recognize and respect the talent that he has, but 
going to the Lakers. I've never really liked the Lakers. Um, and so I would not be upset if they didn't make it past the series. So I, I am a, um, a, I guess, somewhat on the fence, but leaning towards the sun side. So we'll have to see how that goes. But sure. sure. All right. All right, Scott. Any Anything else about the Jayhawks or the NBA or anything else that you wanted to leave us with tonight before we get out of here? Uh, you know, since we ended on him, just one note on Embiid. He's always been a guy that you figured if he could just stay healthy, play 60 games a year. Uh, obviously, they play 82, but just play a majority of them. Uh, he'd have the chance to be special, and you absolutely saw it this year. He would have been the MVP if he didn't miss 22 or 21 games, however yeah. many he missed. Uh, I truly believe that. It'll probably be Jokic. Very deserving. He's fantastic. But, yeah, I mean, Joel Embiid, absolutely phenomenal. And let's see what he does next year. The dude shot 37.5-ish percent from three this season and when you consider what he can do on the block i mean that's just absolutely massive yeah he's absolutely phenomenal I, i'm amazed every time i actually watch him play so all right well that is going to do it for us tonight scott where where can the people find your work online yeah if you want to head to fog.net kansas.247sports.com or check me out on twitter at jason scott we'll have you covered i know uh just for the start of this next month we'll be running an awesome promo for uh, June and on VIP access for people who want to read our subscriber only stories. It'll be 60% off for about a week or so um, just to, to kind of celebrate recruiting, opening back up and visits and all that, but got a lot of free stuff too. If you're interested in K hoops or K football. Yeah. You know, I, I am going to say I am a, I am a subscriber and it is one of those things. There's a lot of additional information you get. I didn't realize how much I was actually missing uh, in terms of like the, you are, you are actually talking about it, the, the campus underground. So you get that information about recruiting that you can't really find in a lot of places without actually paying for it, but it's mm-hmm. completely worth the subscription. I, I highly recommend it for anybody who has not already subscribed. So, but that is going to do it for us tonight. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for rock chalk podcast. So you can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you ever, or if, if you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely great. But if for whatever reason you're unable to do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you as much information as possible in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Um, now that we're on Anchor, you can actually leave us a voicemail so you can get your voice on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. You can leave that voicemail there, and I promise that we'll get you on the show. Um, we do have some news coming up for the podcast here, uh, probably announcing it at the beginning of July, so definitely keep your eyes peeled for there. But uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. Scott, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.